I'm really glad to be back uh, bringing you God's word. That's really my main role in the church. Thank you. I, you don't have to clap, um, but I really am glad to be back. It was restful to have kind of five weeks just to clear my head a little bit and, and just reconnect with God in new ways and think about what God is doing in this church and where he's leading us. And uh, it's just exciting to be back. We're continuing the series, Church on Mission. And today we're gonna be looking at a kind of a long passage, but a really interesting passage from Acts 16, um, where Paul and three other guys go to the, uh, to the city of Philippi, and they start a church by sharing the good news. And they come into to contact with three very different people in this city of Philippi. Three very different people who are all transformed by the same good news. So this morning we're going to be in Acts 16, verse 11 through 40. You can follow along with me up here and I'll read from God's word. From Trous we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in the city for several days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there, a God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house." And she persuaded us. Once as we were on our way to, a, to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. And as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out right away. When her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They are Jews and are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or to practice. The crowd joined in the attack against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods, and they had severely, after they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for the lights and he rushed in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus 
and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away, he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. When daylight came, the chief magistrate sent the police to say, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul. The magistrates have sent orders for you to be released, so come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they beat us in public without a trial. Although we are Roman citizens and they threw us in jail, and now are they going to send us away secretly? Certainly not. On the contrary, let them come themselves and escort us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, so they came to appease them, and escorting them from the prison, they urged them to leave town. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, and then departed. The word of God. Do you ever wonder how different people become Christians? I mean, everyone kind of has a, a different story. Uh, and I don't mean like they believe in Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. You believe and trust in Jesus. You turn away from your sins. But that process is usually really different for different people, right? Everyone kind of has a different story because they're a different person. Um, you know, some people would say, I thought that Christianity was simply unbelievable. It wasn't logical, it wasn't plausible, it didn't make sense until I read this book. And whatever book that was, I, I read a book and it clicked in my mind and all of a sudden it totally made sense. And through that book, I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus and that's my story. Still another person might say, I was radically saved. I was radically saved. I was living my life the way I wanted to. And then usually they have like a time. They'll be like, until April 14th. 2014, and I woke up in a gutter, and I gave my life to Jesus, and I was radically saved. Still, other people can identify a person. Like, they connected with a certain person who God brought into their life, and because they knew that person, there was something about that person and the way they lived that influenced them. And they said, because of that person in my life, I, I, I got hope. And I began to see what the gospel really was. And through that person, I became a Christian. And still other people say, you know, I've been a Christian since I was a child. I don't even remember not believing. I've always believed. As long as I can remember, I've always believed in Jesus and trusted him for my salvation. So there's different people with different stories. And everyone's story about coming to believe the gospel is a little bit different. Different people become Christians through different stories, but through all those different people and through all those different stories, there's one common thread, the same good news, the same gospel about Jesus Christ. And for our church, I love that we're God's blended family because that means that as diverse people, it's not just about culture and ethnicity and language and socioeconomic group. It's that each of us has a different story about how the good news came to us and we turned away from our sins and we embraced Jesus Christ and we were changed. And that's helpful as we think about even going out and reaching other people. 
because no two people's story that we reach are gonna be the same. The gospel's the same. It's the same gospel. It's the same good news, but that same good news saves different people. In our story, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they go into the city of Philippi and they're looking for people to share the gospel with. And one of the things that Paul does when he goes into a city, he looks for the synagogue so he can connect with his Jewish uh, friends and extended family. And as they go into Philippi, there's no synagogue. Philippi is in Macedonia, a territory in Greek. This is the first time that the gospel has gone into Europe. And as Paul goes into Philippi, there is no synagogue, but he hears about this prayer meeting. So he goes to a prayer meeting. And there he meets a woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia is not actually from that area. She's from a city called Thyatira, which is in Asia. So she's an Asian in Europe. And we think that Lydia was probably wealthy because she was a dealer in purple cloths. In honor of Lydia today, I did purple just for her. But this city that she was from, Thyatira, they specialized in purple dye. And so Lydia dealt purple cloth. She was some kind of like fashion dealer or something. And they sat down with Lydia and began explaining to her about the way of Jesus. It seems like she understood about the most high God, the God of Israel, because she was connected to this Jewish prayer meeting, but she hadn't heard the good news about how Jesus was the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for. And they sit down and Paul explains to her the good news about Jesus and Lydia, this wealthy Asian fashion dealer receives the good news and is saved. From there, Paul and Silas and, and the other two guys, they go and they stay with Lydia, but one day they're out and this young girl starts following them. She's enslaved and she has some sort of spirit possession which allows her to predict the future. In fact, it says that she has some sort of spirit called a python spirit. That was an extension of the Greek god Apollo. Now, I don't understand all that, but that's what was going on in the story. She was enslaved by people who recognized that she had a supernatural power and they hustled her to make money. So in other words, I can tell your future through this girl if you just give me a little cash. So the girl was possessed by a spirit, but also oppressed by men who were hustling her out to make some money. And she begins following these guys around Philippi saying, these men are servants of the most high God. They're showing the way of salvation. Now, I don't actually think that she meant the Christian view of all that. I think she, when she talked about the most high God, since she's Greek, she's probably referring to Zeus and the Greek way of salvation. And maybe that's why Paul was so annoyed. Maybe that's why he was annoyed with her because the way of the gospel was being misrepresented by this girl who's possessed by this Python spirit. And he gets annoyed and he just kind of lashes out. And he doesn't lash out at the girl, he lashes out at the spirit in the girl and he says, in the name of Jesus, leave her. And the spirit does. She's set free right there in the moment. Jesus Christ has invaded and that spirit is now gone which is great news for her, but not so good news for the guys who were hustling her because they have no longer have a way to make money. 
So now they're angry. You've just taken away our way to use this girl to make money. So they take the men and they bring them to a public square and they say, these guys are Jews and they're using this Jewish hocus pocus to to dethrone our way of making money. And there they were beaten and thrown in jail. And the jailer was told, watch these guys closely, watch them closely. Well, while Paul and Silas are in jail, they sing and they pray and they pray and they sing and they sing and they pray until an earthquake comes and rattles the jail and opens the door. The jailer, sleeping, is awoken by the earthquake and looks out and sees that the doors are wide open. Now, as a jailer in Philippi, he was probably an ex-soldier. He'd probably been a Roman soldier at this point, and in his later years, it's possible that he had moved from being part of the Roman army to being this jailer and had brought his family to Philippi. That's what a lot of people in Philippi do. They were ex-soldiers. And so he had this sense of duty, right? I've got to do what I'm told to do. But not only that, if he had awoken and seen the door was open and he had been told to keep the people in there and he hadn't, his punishment would be severe. At least torture, maybe death. So he wakes up and within 10 seconds decides that the best thing I need to do is take my own life. The door's open, the prisoners are gone, I'm going to be tortured, possibly killed, and he picks up his sword to kill himself until Paul yells out into the night, don't do it, we're still here. We haven't run away, we haven't gone anywhere, we're still here, don't don't take your own life. And you can imagine the emotional state of this jailer. I mean, he was asleep and then he woke up and seconds later he's ready to kill himself. His life is flashing before his eyes and he looks at these men who he's heard singing through the night and he's heard them suffering with joy and something's very different about them, especially since they didn't escape and they could have escaped. And in his emotional state, he goes to them and he looks at the mess that has just happened. He says, what must I do to be saved? Now, again, I don't think he meant like, tell me about Jesus. I think he meant my life's a complete mess right now. Uh, you guys are in suffering and you're handling it really well. I'm about to be suffering because this jail's a mess and and I need to handle it well, what can I do? But even though he didn't mean it that way, Paul tells him, you want to be saved? You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And this jailer, a working class, ex-soldier, sees their example, he hears the good news, and he responds, and he's saved. He's saved. Three different people changed by the same gospel. Gospel means good news. It's a proclamation of something that Jesus has done. Our world is a broken place because we are broken people who have rebelled against God and are separated from him. We are separated from him in relationship. If we don't figure out how to reconcile with him, we are at risk being separated for eternity. And there's nothing that we can do to repair the relationship because we're the ones who broke it. But the good news is this, that in God's great love for us, he sent Jesus Christ, 
the second person of the Trinity, into this world to repair and restore what we have broken. Jesus Christ was put on the cross. He took the wrath of God for you on the cross, was punished in your place. On the third day, he rose again from the dead as king, and now he is in the process of restoring all things, starting with you. And if you turn away from your sin and you rest in Jesus, you are saved. That is the good news. That's the gospel that saves. Different people changed by the same good news. It reminds me of what Paul writes in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Gentile. That's a way of saying the most two different groups of people, it's for both of them. Same gospel for different people. But I don't think you understand quite how different Lydia and the enslaved girl and the jailer were. They were really, really different people. If you can put up the next slide. Uh, Lydia was Asian. She was upper class as a fashion dealer and she was probably her own boss. The enslaved girl, she was probably Greek, she was lower class because she was enslaved, and she was completely oppressed. Oppressed by a demon, and oppressed by these evil men who were using her. And then you have the jailer, who's probably Roman, probably working class or middle class. He has a boss, right, because he has to report someone, but he's also a boss because he's in charge of the people in the prison. Could you get three people who are any more different. Different people changed by the same gospel. And what's amazing to me is that the gospel is the same, but in this story, the presentation of the gospel is different depending on these people, because people are different. So for instance, Lydia. Lydia has an intellectual need when she thinks about the gospel. She has to have the gospel explained to her. And Paul does. Paul understands that she probably believes in the one true God, but she hasn't made the connection or heard that the one true God is actually Jesus Christ who has died on the cross and risen from the dead. And as Paul explains the gospel to her, it clicks in her mind. In fact, it says that the Lord opened her heart to receive. So she not only hears it, but God helps her understand in her mind with her intellectual need. It reminds me a little bit of what Peter says but in your parts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. I think it's helpful for us who are believers to understand that many people look at what we believe and they think it's crazy. And that brings up intellectual questions. That's pretty normal. I mean, we believe that God became man and that God died and rose from the dead in the person of Jesus Christ. And when people hear that, they're like, okay, hold on, I've got questions. <laughs> I've got some questions that I need answered. I have an intellectual need to understand things better. And it's important for us to understand that so that we can answer people's questions honestly. They're real questions. Not with pat Christian answers, but with real answers. Which is one of the reasons we do Alpha. We wanna give people space to ask real questions because people have a real intellectual need like Lydia did. 
If you're here and you have questions, you'd say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I'm exploring. Let me invite you to come to Alpha on Wednesdays because there really are answers to real questions. A lot of times I talk with people and they've heard just sort of part of what Christians believe. And so they say, well, that sounds crazy, but they haven't really understood the true content of what Christians believe. And there's really logical answers for everything in the Christian faith. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of it does sound crazy, but it also can be answered logically. Christianity isn't void of intellectualism. Real people's questions can be answered, just like with Lydia. Lydia had an intellectual need. The enslaved girl had a psychological need. She's oppressed by a demon and by people around her. She's not really even able to respond because she's not in control of her own mind. And so what she needs is a gospel invasion. She needs the power of Jesus in her life to set her free from the demonic presence that is overpowering her. And that's what Paul does. He commands in the name of Jesus, he commands the spirit to come out and the spirit comes out and she's free. The Bible does teach that there is a spirit realm, just like we see in the story. But it also teaches that Jesus is more powerful than any spirit that's in that realm, which is why the spirit comes out in the name of Jesus. And I think for us as who are Christians, we have to be ready to pray for people who are oppressed by spirits. Some people that makes you really uncomfortable and some of you are like, amen, and I couldn't have said that soon enough. But for us as Christians, we have to realize there is a spirit realm, but Jesus is more powerful. I talk to people who tell me that they interact with that spirit realm. Like they have friends on the other side. And, and some of those people have said, like I have a relationship with something on the other side that gives me power in this world. And um, let me just say to you, be careful. Because how do you know that that spirit on the other side that hasn't revealed himself to you is actually good or has your best interest in mind? You might feel powerful. I mean, this girl in the story is able to predict the future and yet she's completely oppressed and enslaved by that spirit. There's a reason why the spirit world doesn't often reveal itself. It's deceptive, it's powerful, and it's real. But Jesus, who is more powerful, fully reveals himself. He comes from heaven, reveals himself as a man. He suffers and dies like any one of us would. He rises from the dead in power. And then by his spirit, he comes to live in us and share that power with us. So if you're stuck in a relationship with something on the other side and you need prayer, we want to pray for you. Because you might think that that thing on the other side has your best interest in mind, but it does not. Only Jesus who suffered and died on your behalf does. And you need freedom. The enslaved girl had a psychological need and she needed a gospel invasion. The jailer had a moral need. In other words, he needed to see a life lived differently and he needed a gospel demonstration. After Paul and Silas are beaten and thrown in jail, he witnesses them praying in the midst of their pain, singing in the midst of their suffering and trusting God in the trials, and that demonstration of a life lived according to the gospel, he goes, I gotta get what you got. 
you're in the midst of suffering and you're handling it way differently than anybody else. I want that. It reminds us that when we walk through suffering with the power of the gospel, people are actually watching. People are actually watching. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean suck it up and love Jesus and be happy. That's, that's not it at all. It does mean that you can bring your crying to the cross, though. It means that in your doubts, you can look to the death of the Son of God because the Son suffered. And as you connect to Jesus in the midst of your suffering, and as you see that his suffering was on behalf of you, it produces faith. It produces hope. It produces love, even when things are really difficult. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, um, let me encourage you that if you look at Christians and you see them living their life differently, pay attention to that. Because what the tendency is, is you have a Christian around you and you're like, man, I see how they're walking with faith, hope, and love in the midst of suffering, or I see how they're living their life differently. And your tendency will be to like write it off. Be like, well, there's some reason. I'm sure they're a broken person. No, that could actually be God giving you a gospel demonstration in order to draw you to himself. That could actually be God using a broken person in the midst of suffering and yet embracing faith, hope, and love in Jesus Christ to draw you. So as you look around and you see Christians who are walking through life, not perfectly, but differently, don't ignore that. God actually uses that, and he might be using it specifically to communicate with you and draw you to Jesus. The same good news saves different people, and it's presented in different ways in this story. The same good news saves different people, but it also makes people different. The same good news saves different people, but it also makes people different. After Lydia and the jailer are converted, the first thing that they do is they open up their home. They're hospitable. And that's not the same as our common, as our like uh, modern day concept of entertaining. Hospitable, hospitality has more to do with like welcoming strangers, showing love to people who don't deserve it by opening your home to them. And that's exactly what Lydia and the jailer do as a response to the gospel. They welcome Paul and his friends into their home. And it's a response to the gospel because you see how Jesus has welcomed you into the family of God. Though you were dirty with sin, though you were a failure, though you did not love God, Jesus welcomes you. And so the gospel changes us and makes us different people because we understand how Jesus has been hospitable to us. We become hospitable to others. And we see that in this story. But then secondly, it makes us missional. The good news makes us different by making us missional. Lydia invites Paul and his friends into her home, not just for one meal, but she says, listen, set up shop here. Like, whatever you're doing in Philippi has already affected me, and so I want it to affect other people. And so this is like your new mission base, Paul. Like, what do you need? You need time, you need energy, you need money. Whatever's gonna get this good news out, I want you. In fact, it says she urged, she insisted, like, Paul, please come, make my house the center of your mission base while you're in Philippi. And that's one of the ways that the gospel makes us different people. It makes us missional. 
as we're changed by the good news, we're willing to sacrifice in order to get the good news out there to other people. And so we begin to give our time, our money, our money, our money, our money and our energy to the spread of the gospel. Listen, when you serve in the kids' ministry and give your time, that's gospel missional ministry. When you put something in the offering plate, that's for the mission of the gospel. When you serve somebody else in the name of Jesus, that is missional living. And that's a response to the good news. The good news makes people different by making them hospitable and missional, but also restorational. The jailer, after he is saved, he cleans up the wounds of Paul and Silas. Now, I don't think he was the one who made the wounds, yet he cleaned them up. He tried to restore and repair. Because he had really been part of that group that had hurt Paul and Silas, even though he wasn't the one that dealt the blows. And I think that's good for us because part of what being saved means is we look back on our own story and we say, if I have hurt someone or if there's something that I've done that needs repair, I need to take responsibility for that. Or if I'm part of a group that has done something or hurt somebody, I need to go and be restorational as a response to the good news. Because that's what Jesus does to us. Jesus doesn't just save us, he restores us. He builds our life back up so that we're made new. And as we receive that love, we're willing to give that love. And we see that in the life of the jailer. He's restorational. The gospel makes him different. The same good news that makes people different also brings people together who aren't the same. The same good news that makes people different also brings people together who aren't the same. As our story winds down, uh, the magistrates of the city, the city leaders come in and they say, Paul, uh, like, we're sorry, we didn't realize you're a Roman citizen. In other words, we shouldn't have beat you. It, it shouldn't have gone down like that. So what we'd like you to do is just kind of leave the jail and get out of town. And Paul's like, uh-uh, you beat me publicly. <laughs> You're gonna walk me out publicly. And what Paul's saying is, listen, from everyone's perspective in Philippi, it looks like I did something wrong. But I'm a representative of the gospel. And I'm a representative of these new people, Lydia and her family, the enslaved girl, and also the jailer and his family. And I don't want what you did to me wrongfully to represent the good news or these new good news people. So you're going to walk me out publicly to show that you were wrong, not I was wrong. And Paul does. They walk him out of the jail. And they say, please leave Philippi. But Paul doesn't leave Philippi. For me, the last verse of the chapter is my favorite. This is what Paul does. After leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters and they departed. Who are these brothers and sisters? They're the new Christians. It's Lydia and her family. It's the enslaved girl. It's the jailer and his family that were baptized. They're, they're all together there. And, and can you imagine this first church gathering? Can you imagine we're like, probably in Lydia's home because she was wealthy and she had welcomed them. Can you imagine like Lydia telling her story about how she came to know Jesus, where she's like, look, I had these questions and I didn't understand. And then Paul explained to me and I repented and I believed. And everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. 
And then can you imagine the enslaved girl? She's like, I had this Python spirit thing going on and I don't really know what to do, but by the power of Jesus, I was set free. And then the jailer says, listen, I was despairing and I was about to kill myself, but then I saw hope in Jesus because Paul shared this with me and now I'm alive in Christ. And here they are together. Different people changed by the same God and the same gospel now is one. Now is one. The same good news brings people together who are not the same. This is what the good news does. This is what the good news is doing among us and will do among us. Different people, different stories, being changed and made different by the same good news which is one of the reasons we call ourselves God's blended family, because that's what the gospel does. It blends us together, even though we are not the same. Embrace that. Embrace each other, just like they did in the story, and have great confidence, even though we are different people. The good news is the same, and it saves. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that there is excitement around what you have done on the cross for us. And we pray that you will take us deeper into this gospel. And as you take us deeper, we pray that this room would be more different and different and different, that our lives would be different, but there'd also be different kinds of people. Lord, we pray, from pe we pray for people from Russia and Germany. We pray for pe people from Brazil and Peru. We pray for people from North Miami and Dania Beach. We pray for people who are wealthy and not wealthy, Lord. We pray for people who have wild paths and those who grow up Christians. We ask that you would continue to blend us together in the name of Jesus, that we might become a more blended family. This is what the gospel does. As we are reconciled to God through Jesus, we are brought into a family and become one. Would you put this on display? And as you do, Lord, might more and more people come to Christ. And all God's people said, amen.